Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. It's in space. Uh, this is Captain Link Hogthrob, the first pig to ever set foot on this distant planet. We must find out if there is life on Coosbane. What? You mean, you mean like uh, little green monsters? Hey, pigs in space, humans in space, robots in space. With the landing of the Mars Curiosity rover on Monday, another milestone, the U.S. is one more step closer to a human outpost in the solar system. And just as humans have to think carefully about what to bring into space, nothing extraneous, Just as all contingencies need to be thought through, now is the time to begin thinking about what body of law makes sense on Mars or elsewhere and what legal nonsense is maybe better left on Earth. Some might think of lawyers in space as a form of contamination, a particularly dangerous form of space junk, but the lawyers have already started to think about their role in extraplanetary venues, from litigating the liabilities of space tourists to the legal framework for possible extraterrestrial encounters to sovereignty rights for lunar mining. Joining us now is Joanne Irene Gabrinowitz, director of the National Center for Remote Sensing, Air and Space Law at the University of Mississippi. Joanne, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. So this is an interesting body of law. What's, uh, you know, what, what's the... Uh, What's the big issue up there that needs to be resolved before, say, uh, me and my family end up on Mars? Well, it has to do with whatever human beings have um, issues with. It doesn't matter where they are. They will have issues. They will have relationships, and they will have to have ways to uh, deal with them and figure them out. So just like we deal with contracts and lawsuits and agreements um, and here on Earth, we will need all of those things in space. But actually what most of space law is focused on is the Earth-based activities that enable us to be in space and have our technology in space. So, for example, every single day, your listeners are using something that is space-based, whether it's GPS on their smartphones or uh, communications Um, those are all space-based assets about which there are contracts, treaties, and agreements. And is that to say that when I use GPS, I'm using part of the space real estate owned by the U.S. taxpayers, the United States government, uh, some guy in Seattle? How does it work? Well, um, it depends on what part of the infrastructure you're dealing with. If you're talking about the satellites themselves, GPS is um, uh, a U.S. government-owned satellite system. If you're talking about the receiver on, that you use in your car, it may be a proprietary uh, um, product by companies like Garmin and TomTom or um, Apple. Uh, if you are talking about the uh, um, linkage between the satellite and the ground system, that might be another company that is organizing and arranging that so that it can be received by you. So, all right, here, here's a question, Joanne. Who owns the copyright of those spectacular photos coming from Curiosity? Well, they are U.S. government-produced um, uh, uh, photographs, and under the United States IRS tax code, um, anything produced by... T- 
federal tax dollars is not copyrightable. So uh, those photos within the United States are in the public domain because it's governed by U.S. tax law. Um, outside of the United States, U.S. tax law does not apply, so they may be used differently by other people in different countries. But right now, those photographs are owned by the American people. So if I make myself a Mars uh, crater T-shirt, that's fine. But if some Nigerian dude does it, that could violate international law? Uh, no. Uh, well, the, the absolute answer is I don't know. I would have to research that seriously. But uh, what would be involved would be Nigerian law. There are issues about uh, copyright and commerce and trade. And then... Um, we would look at international law if it were applicable. All right. So um, back in the 1600s, it was kind of plant the flag, declare the land as far as you could see for the queen or the king or whoever it was who was your leader back home that Correct. basically started the, you know, the great game uh, in North America and, and uh, the places that ended up, uh, you know, as the clash of empires in the 1800s and, and uh, that ended in the 20th century. Now here exactly. in, sp- in space, if a robot plants a flag on Mars and says, this all belongs to the U.S. taxpayers, what, what is that legal standing uh, no, there? Can't, can't do that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We have something called the Outer Space Treaty. And under the Outer Space Treaty, no sovereign can claim space. So you're absolutely right. When Columbus came to what was then the New World and planted a flag, that under international law, that was a recognized act of sovereign claim. The difference is because uh, we created the Outer Space Treaty before we got to the moon, any signatory, and right now there's well over 100 nations that are signatories to that treaty, any signatory, including the United States, that goes to the moon, when we planted the flag and Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin planted that flag, that was not a claim of territory, that was an act of national achievement. And uh, that was the difference in international law between the time of Columbus and the time of Neil Armstrong. Wow. So, all right. So let's say Curiosity collects some rocks and we eventually get up to Mars and somebody collects Curiosity and its stuff. Does that belong to the United States and has to be returned? Okay. The the object, there's a difference between the celestial body and the place in space and the object that is put in space. So the object, which is the rover, is a U.S.-owned object over which the United States has sovereign control and uh, legal title. So that's very different than the place that it lands. All right, Joanne, finally, before we go, and this is the million-dollar question here, if some extraterrestrial uh, emerges and says, no, actually, I have a prior claim to that rock. Is that written into the law? It is not currently written into the law, but it raises a very important fundamental philosophical question, and that is respect for other life forms, regardless of where we find them and how we will choose to relate to them. I love this conversation. Joanne, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Joanne Irene Gabrenowitz is co-founder of the Space Studies Department at the University of North Dakota. She's director of the National Center for Remote Sensing, Air and Space Law and Research, and a professor of law at the University of Mississippi. Thanks so much. 